The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now that none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning again. I, uh, I walk up here and my heart is bursting with gratitude because one of my heroes is here today, which is my youth pastor. Heiko Berkland. Can we give Heiko and his wife Kay and my youth leaders, Foss and Chitty, a warm welcome on behalf of the Daniel Island Fellowship. Pretty amazing the impact one person can have in your life, isn't it? Thank you. To settle my heart and to settle our hearts, if you would bow with me in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear from God's word. Jesus. 
Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today's sermon is titled, Ragtag Resurrection. And let me tell you where we're at in the life of the church and in looking at the gospel account of the Easter event. You know, last week we celebrated the resurrection, and now we're a week out. And as we read this passage, the disciples are more or less a week out. And once again, Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples And so I thought, wow, that's fitting. I wonder how he would reveal himself to them and likewise us. And as is our custom, I want to begin with just a fun question. Have you ever refused to throw something away even when everyone thinks you're crazy? Look, the wives are pointing at the husbands already. What? Have you ever refused to throw something away even when everyone else thinks you're crazy? You know, I knew Trenton was a little different when we went to interview him because during his interview process, gosh, it hasn't even been two years ago, Trenton moved down from the Asheville area, but during the interview process, I found he and his wife under the hood of her car taking apart their engine at the Hampton Inn parking lot here on Daniel Island. And I thought, this guy's different. And then, (laughs) and he's like, hey, we've got it. There's YouTube videos for this. And and so it wouldn't surprise you or me when eventually he shows up in a 1991 pickup truck. And I have a picture of this truck right here. Now, this truck's not hard to notice. There are not many 1991 uh, rusty S10 pickups driving around Daniel Island or Charleston. And I know some of you are concerned. Uh, In fact, early in Trenton's tenure here, I had someone who's in this congregation who will go nameless, come up to me and say, is Trenton all right? I said, what do you mean, is he all right? And he says, have you seen what he drives? (laughs) And I said, I have. So I asked Trenton, preparing for this sermon, more about this truck and its history and why he drives it. You see, right before college, it was gifted to him. And uh, it, it was banged up, but nonetheless, he was grateful and he took it and Within a week, he's going to college. He tells me as he's going to college at Montreat College, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina, the brakes give out. And he's putting his foot all the way to the floor, and it's metal on metal. So as he's entering into the mountains of North Carolina with this truck, he has to shift up, down, all around to make it safely. But he's like, I fixed it. I fixed it there. I was like, oh, what else have you fixed on this truck? He says, I fixed fixed the rear end, I fixed the engine, I fixed the brakes, I've done this. One time we caught him underneath the Holy City Collective sanding this truck, uh, getting rid of rust. And he's like, "Uh, one day I want to paint the truck. I was like, great, but you're a little crazy. (laughs) But then I heard the backstory. You see, this truck belonged to his papa, his grandfather. And it was gifted to him by his granny, his grandmother, and 
His granny no longer lives. And it reframes your thinking about this truck, doesn't it? You see, when we see Trenton drive this truck now, I want you to know that he's not just driving a truck, he's driving the love of his grandparents. It reminds me of the story Seabiscuit. Anyone read the book or watch the movie? Raise your hands. You know, the story is such that there's these uh, lovable losers in this movie, and there's this trainer. This trainer's name is uh, Tom Smith, and he rehabs old horses and rehabs jockeys, and at one point in the movie, there's a horse that had torn his leg up, and this race owner comes to Tom, and he says, hey, are you going to put the horse down? And Tom says, no, no. And he says these words, every horse is good for something. He could be a cart horse or a lead pony, and he's still nice to look at. You know, you don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little. You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little. And that's where we're at in the gospel. That's where we're at in this passage. And I think it's true of the disciples, and I think it's true of us. I think the big idea of our passage is this. Despite how banged up we each are, the resurrection love of Jesus can resurrect our lives. Despite how banged up you are even today, the resurrection love of Jesus can resurrect your life. And I love the writing here in this last passage of the book of John. There's three object lessons we're going to dig into real quick uh, this morning. Number one... We're called to be people of the net. Number two, we're called to be people of the table. And number three, we're called to be people of the flock. Number one, we're called to be people of the net. Jesus calls us to be people of purpose. Earlier we read, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he did what? He revealed himself in this way. Special note, anytime you see repetition in the Bible, it's an underline. Pay attention. So Jesus is revealing himself again and again. And Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. So a little backdrop to this text, a little backdrop to this story. First of all, anyone here like to fish? Raise your hand. Nick, I know you love to fish. Others, yes. It's a holy endeavor, right? Okay. This isn't just some random boredom. History teaches us that Peter, in fact, most likely owned a, a fishing firm, like a fishing business. He was a fisherman by trade. So just a week out from the resurrection, what does Peter go do? He goes back to work as a person of the net, as a purpose, a person made for purpose. And I want you to notice what the disciples and Peter are not doing. I think when people come to Jesus, they take on often this hyper-spirituality as if they're just white-knuckling it until heaven. But if you look at the story, God's not calling us out of the world. He's calling us deeper into it. So Peter and the disciples, they take up the net. 
And yes, at times we see in Acts, they're in prayer, they're in study, they're in worship. But they go back to their place of work. They go back to their very day-to-day purpose. And yet, like them, we all do the same thing and eventually fall into some type of disappointment and failure, which is what we see right out of the gate here, right? And I think it's interesting to note how Jesus responds. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, which means fellas, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now there's something subtle here, but I think very important here. In that day and age, fishermen would fish at night. Why? So they could bring their catch to the market fresh in the morning. Makes sense, right? These guys are exhausted and frustrated. And I don't know about your, you know, your, your fisherman ecumen, but when someone asks, hey, how are you doing? And I've been fishing for eight or ten hours, and I've caught nothing. It doesn't bless me, right? <laughs> These guys are exhausted. And, and yet they have a choice, and, and we have a choice. And what do I mean by this? You know, you look at the disciples before the res- resurrection, they were a cocky bunch. Here, not so much. They're a humble bunch. You see, they had been living in a performance-based culture. You are what you achieve. And even despite failure, often you would see them puff up. Man up. And that's our way too, right? Even when we're facing failure. And yet Jesus comes to them and he says, guys, how's it going? And there's something different in their response. Have you caught anything? And they humbly and honestly say, no. And so then things change. Then he says, well, hey, hey, pick up that net, pivot, and put it on the other side of the boat. Now, mind you, this would have been really difficult. These aren't little five-foot cast nets, Blaze and Nick. These are huge nets that would have taken a lot of grit to pull up and move to the other side of the boat. But we see here that they're humble and they're teachable. And they do it. They hear the words of Jesus and boom, huge net full of fish. We, like these disciples, have a choice. In the midst of our work, to invite Jesus in, to listen to his voice. No matter if our work is being a homemaker, working for the land trust, working for the military. You see, I think what Jesus is revealing as people of the net is this. No matter what, Trenton, I've got this and I've got you. I'm with you even in the midst of your disappointment. And so the first application I would suggest is this. Number one, Trust Jesus not only in your heart, but also in your work. We're called to be people of purpose, people of the net, whatever the net is in your life. Point number two, we're called to be people of the table. What's this mean? It means we're called to be reconciled to God and one another, restored in our relationships. We read these words. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped 
for work and threw himself into the sea. Now, do you guys have any friends that just, right when they hear something, they act like it's boom, boom, boom. That's Peter. And my big question, the big theological question we're facing this morning is, did Peter dive? Did he cannonball? Like, how did he plunge himself into the water when he recognized Jesus? And I think there's a, a deeper truth here, actually. Giving all of Peter's failure, Peter's not just plunging into the water in this moment. He's plunging into God's grace. And the story goes on. And then we got, when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was who? The Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now what's beautiful about this story, I love how he says, bring some of the fish you've caught. You see, they're active participants in this redemption encounter, in this redemption story. In being people of the net, then they become people of the table. And for those who've been with us over the last month, it's kind of a quiz, when was the last time Jesus broke bread with those disciples? During the Passover meal, before the crucifixion, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Can you imagine how powerful this scene, this encounter must have been? I think the second revelation we see in this scripture is this. Friends, no matter what you've done or who you are, Jesus is saying, I forgive you, and tiger, I love you. And just imagine, as, as Jesus is extending the bread to them, as he's giving to bre the bread to them, he's giving them God's love and very acceptance. And in those days, when you sit at a table with someone, you accept them, you embrace them, you love them, you have shalom, total flourishing with them. There's nothing, there's no barrier. Jesus is saying, no matter what you've done, don't let there be a barrier between the two of us. Come, break bread with me. And isn't it interesting that reformers, some of the greatest reformers in the history of the church, they would say the two most important elements of a worship service are first, the pulpit, where we hear from God's word, and second, the table, where we respond and we commune with God. Reformers such as John Calvin and Martin Luther. So the second application as people at the table is this. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are and what you've walked in with, don't remove yourself from God's presence. Plunge yourself into it. Point number three, we're called to be people of the flock. People of servant leadership. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he goes on. He's like, no, Simon Peter, do you really love me? Peter's like, yes, Lord. 
And Jesus says, tend to my sheep. And Jesus, a third time, says, Simon, Peter, do you love me? And it says Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask him a third time. And Peter's like, you know everything about me. Yes, feed my sheep. So what are we to make of this encounter, this repetition? I came across a story this week that I think fits perfectly with those disciples and it fits perfectly with us. And it comes from a book by Kent Hughes. Many years ago, a young man ran for the legislature in a large state and was badly defeated. He next entered business, failed, and spent 17 years of his life paying the debt of a worthless partner. He was in love with a beautiful woman to whom he became engaged, but she died. Re-entering politics, he ran for Congress but was badly defeated. He then tried to get an appointment to the U.S. land office but failed. He became a candidate for the U.S. Senate but was badly defeated. Two years later, he was again defeated. It was one failure after another and many setbacks. But he refused to give up and eventually became the president of the United States of America, perhaps our greatest. And his name was Abraham Lincoln. You see, like Lincoln, Peter was an epic failure. And it's interesting. Uh, as you look back at some of the earlier conversations that are recorded in the scripture with Peter and Jesus. Peter said crazy things like this. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, Jesus, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter is a failed man. But notice in the scene where it's taking place and notice the repetition. We read that Peter and the disciples are where? They're around a fire, a charcoal fire. And, and wouldn't, you, wouldn't you guess, wouldn't you know it, that the last time Peter was around a charcoal fire was the third time that he had denied Jesus before the crucifixion. He's not around a fire by accident. It's the exact verbiage from earlier in the Gospels. And how many times does Jesus say to Peter, do you love me? I know we have a lot of doctors and people in the medical profession that come to our church. And the best way to understand what, what God is doing here, what Jesus is doing with Peter is, imagine you break a bone. And imagine that bone sets in the wrong way. And imagine then that bone and that deficiency then define your life. You see, Jesus saw Peter's brokenness. And the only way to heal, redeem, and call, commission Peter was to re-break him and remake him in that moment. Butch, do you love me? Do you love me, Caden? Cody, do you love me? And with each question, God is resetting the very heart 
in life of this man. That he wouldn't be defined by his brokenness. He would be defined by God's love for him. Sitting right in front of him in the person of Jesus Christ. The third revelation I believe that we see in this passage is this. Ella, no matter what, Jesus knows you and he chooses you to live on mission with him. Do you love me? Great. Go feed my sheep. Love people as I've loved you. Theologian F.D. Bruner has this way of summarizing this passage. Jesus entrusts very human people with his mission, people just like Peter, namely problematic human beings, errant, sin-marred, but sincerely repentant human beings who confess their sins and want to be real Christians. And our gospel is teaching us on its final page that Jesus takes people who qualify exactly as much as Peter does, i.e. people who have failed, sometimes quite awfully, for his mission to the world of other sinful, errant, needy, and lost human beings. So the third application from a passage is this. Let the love of Jesus break you afresh and remake you today. So in summary, here's what we learn. Big picture. Despite how banged up we each are, the resurrection love of Jesus can resurrect our lives. It can resurrect your life today. That's the hope we see in our passage. God's calling us each to be people than that, people of purpose, where we invite Christ to enter into our day-to-day lives, into our workplace. People of the table, where we're being invited back to have peace and forgiveness with God and then offer that to one another. Plunging ourselves in. And point number three, to be people of the flock, where he breaks us and remakes us in his love to be on mission with him, to reach other errant flawed human beings. So is this something you want or you need in your life today? Even in the smallest way? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search the hearts of those in this room and for those that need you to enter in to their workplace, their workspace, God, would you enter in afresh and anew. God, would we have the humility to respond and be honest with you and to trust you in that realm. God, for those who need reconciliation with you and one another, may we know your peace and your forgiveness and your love afresh today. And God, for those of us who know our shame and our brokenness, God, would you break us and remake us and choose us to go love a world in need. If this is your prayer, in any way, I invite you to silently say yes. Jesus, resurrect my life. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.